afternoon, my name is Will Watson, and I'm here with Dr. Bullock of the Bush School talking about the Nationals debate topic, Resolved, the United States Federal Government Should Enforce Antitrust Regulations on Technology Giants. Dr. Bullock, thank you so much for your time and for being here today. It's very helpful, and I'm sure we're going to get a lot. Now, a bit of background. Dr. Bullock is an assistant professor in the Public Service and Administration Department and a research fellow in the Institute for Science, Technology, and Public Policy here at the Bush School. Mm -hmm. Dr. Bullock earns his PhD in Public Administration and Policy with a specialization in Public Management and Public Policy from the University of Georgia in 2014, as well as a Master's in Public Administration and a Bachelor's in Business Administration also from the University of Georgia. Almost sounds fancy when you put it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Bullock, again, thank you so much for your time. Sure, of course. So starting off on the background of this topic, it's a pretty big one. What do you think debaters should know going into it? Yeah, so um, let me preface uh, what's coming with my background is in policy analysis mm -hmm. and administration and less, uh, less so in, say, economics particularly or antitrust particularly. So I think one of the things that I hopefully can bring to this conversation is giving a, a fairly broad view of how to think about antitrust policy. Mm -hmm. So um, I, the way to think about this, I think, is there are a number of important acts. Mm -hmm. uh, there are three in particular that people talk about when thinking about antitrust, and they've led to this standard that is kind of the gold standard that people have essentially come into agreement on, by my understanding, of when antitrust regulation should be enforced and when it shouldn't. And some of that's related to what's actually in the acts, and then some of that's related to more common law uh, uh, interpretations that judges have made, for example, in court cases. So uh, I don't want to spend too much time on the acts, but just to highlight on, there's the Sherman Act, there's a Federal Trade Commission Act, and the Clayton Act. And they kind of built on one another, each one kind of addressing some of the holes that the other had. But the thing to really focus on, I think, in framing whether or not we should break up tech giants or use uh, antitrust regulation towards them is this notion of consumer welfare. And so a lot of this, uh, at, at times, the way we thought about antitrust has been, okay, the argument has been uh, companies that get so large must be doing something anti-competitive, right? They have monopoly power, they must be using that to harm the consumer. And in the past, we've seen um, companies arguably doing this and predominantly through raising prices. And so the way we've kind of dealt with antitrust in the past was a company would get really big, they would use some uh, different tax for anti-competitiveness. Uh, Microsoft has uh, some examples of this in the past. And then what, what they would do is jack up prices. Mm -hmm. And the idea is there that they've kind of pushed competition out. Now they have monopoly power or monopsony power, depending on uh, how you think about it, and they're able to raise prices. And this is bad for an economy uh, because the price is higher than it should be if we actually had competition. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So this is the uh, basic, uh, uh, basic legislation, basic arguments behind like why we have that legislation and the basic standard that we should think about applying. Mm -hmm. There's some debate out there now, uh, some of it I was re-familiarizing myself yes. with, uh, getting ready for this interview, and there's some debate over 
whether or not the standard should be consumer welfare. Mm -hmm. So for people thinking about uh, this debate, that might be one thing that they need to really focus on is what is the standard mm -hmm. and whether or not it's appropriate to apply that in the context of these big tech firms. So, so in debate, often debaters have a framework for the mm -hmm. round where its impacts have to fall under this. Do you think consumer welfare would be a fair framework then? I think so, yeah. Because mm -hmm. it is the legal standard that's agreed upon, not just in the U.S., but fairly broadly throughout the world mm -hmm. for thinking about when we should break up large companies or when we should enforce antitrust legislation. So it's not enough for a company just to be large. They have Correct. to be doing something. According to the standards that we've agreed on kind of internationally, and particularly in the U.S., just being big per se is not, uh, is not an agreed upon reason for breaking up a large company. Now, you've mentioned several acts with that. What are the current enforcement mechanisms for antitrust legislation? So there are two, um, two ways that I'm aware of that uh, antitrust uh, legislation can be enforced. There are two agencies that are responsible for that. One is the Federal Trade Commission itself, mm -hmm. and one is the Department of Justice's Antitrust Division. Mm -hmm. And they're responsible for uh, investigating firms that might uh, be uh, engaging in anti-competitive or uh, really anti-competitive practices. Mm -hmm. So those are the two main agencies that can take the lead. And you'll see this, which will get, gets down to some points you, that we mm -hmm. might talk about later, but uh, you know, the people in the Department of Justice who steer the Department of Justice um, are often responsible to political appointees. Yes. And so the way in which we think about which companies to enforce laws on or whether or not to enforce them also has, there's this discretion mm -hmm. element and part of this that the DOJ has to, to decide whether they should bother enforcing the antitrust legislation or not. So it comes to who appointed them, who's currently in politics. Yeah, at least at uh, kind of um, at the final stick of it. You know, there are career mm -hmm. servants who are not all yeah. like um, appointed, and there are a lot of the attorneys and, uh, that would be a part of the DOJ would not necessarily be appointed, mm -hmm. but the folks at the top are political appointees, and they kind of set the policy direction for the DOJ. Mm -hmm. So let's start by looking at the pro side of things. Okay, sure. Um, right now, do you think the tech monopolies are harmful? Yeah, so <laughs> I've been wrestling with how to answer that question. Um, and I think the answer is yes and no, although that uh, maybe that helps mm -hmm. the debate but doesn't give a good <laughs> answer. Um, so tech companies are doing two things, I think. Um, mm -hmm. One, they are generating immense amounts of wealth mm -hmm. for society while uh, providing it at increasingly lower costs mm -hmm. in general. Okay, so think about what you, think about the services in the US we all loosely use, right? Google, mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I don't pay to use Google, right? <laughs> um, I pay some type of costs, but not directly, not for using their services, mm -hmm. right? And Facebook, right, being the other kind of big giant, the Amazon mm -hmm. being the third, but Facebook be, being the second one that, you don't pay for Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. It's free to use. And then Amazon's kind of a shtick being they get you goods as cheaply and quickly as anyone else, yeah. right? So in all cases, they're providing a very useful, arguably a very useful service to society mm -hmm. uh, and certainly help us spreading information, which mm -hmm. is, a, is a good for society. Um, but they're doing it while lowering costs, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so this comes back to the consumer welfare question, which is these companies are large. They're very, very large um, in, their, in the way in which they have their uh, business relationships throughout the entire economy. So these are really, really large players. So they check. They fit that like these are very large uh, companies. These fit as tech giants. Yeah, these, these tech giants. Yeah, and they, So if we were just making the argument based on size, I think you can make a strong argument that these companies are uh, are uh, responsible for very large percentages of commerce in their respective fields, in their respective industries. The question you ask, though, is are they harming us or not? Um, and the, the answer from a price standpoint has to be, I think, no. Mm-hmm. I think it has to be that they are that they are increasing consumer welfare with respect to overall growth of the economy and with respect to how far your dollar can go in the mm-hmm. economy, right? And so in that way, no. I don't think you can make an argument, a strong argument anyways, that they're harming us from the consumer welfare standard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, right, think about the types of things that come along with these large tech companies. Mm-hmm. So social media just being a real clear one, right? Um, Facebook has disrupted some of the overall public good, right? We've had our uh, foreign actors use Facebook and Twitter, uh, using uh, buying ads up to target misinformation, target specific voters in the U.S. to disrupt elections. That's just one example, right? And there's all this kind of research that's coming out that talks about how we... Um, People who are on social media more often are like less happy. Mm-hmm. They have some more conflicts. So, are those things harming society mm-hmm. more than they're helping society? And that's the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that I know the answer other than to say that those three companies in particular have a lot of uh, societal capital. They have a lot of power. They have a lot of influence. Mm-hmm. And irrespective of the argument about the uh, consumer welfare with respect to, mm-hmm. strictly speaking, prices yes. and economic growth, there still is reasons to think that they might have too much power in the market just because of their size mm-hmm. and both vertical and horizontal integration in the market. Mm-hmm. Would you mind going over vertical and horizontal integration just for some of the debaters? Yeah, so there. vertical is usually thought about going kind of up and down the supply chain. Mm-hmm. So you could think of like something, um, let's think of the cell phone, making the cell phone, right? So if you are buying up the companies that supply the materials for it, mm-hmm. and you also are buying up the companies that provide the engineering for it, mm-hmm. and then also you have the people who are doing the marketing and the you own the stores in which they're selling. Mm-hmm. So think about Apple, right? They not only do they sell the iPhone, they have some horizontal integration in that they have Apple stores yes. where they sell them, right? Mm-hmm. So vertical integration is this idea that you own multiple steps in the process. Mm-hmm. Horizontal is taking on uh, like uh, competitors that are doing similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but at the same level of the production process. So you could think about um, buying up competitors in that way. Maybe Apple buys up Dell or something. Facebook buying Instagram. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that would be more like horizontal integration. So, so 
going on to more of the societal well-being that we talked about, because it does look like it will be difficult for a pro to win the consumer wellness debate. I would agree with that. Let's look at innovation and whether or not these monopolies have been stifling innovation in any way. Whenever you have that one company control that much of the economy, is there any risk that new ideas aren't being tested? So classical economic theory would say yes. Mm -hmm. um, and it is true, it has been historically true in other industries. So um, you can think of like the American car industry kind of losing its innovative streak and it was in large, there's a couple of reasons, protectionism might have been one, mm -hmm. but also because they were the dominant players, they didn't have to innovate. With the tech companies, it seems to be a little bit different. So there's a there is some uh, I come across a little bit of research that suggests mm -hmm. that larger tech companies invest significantly more in R and D mm -hmm. than smaller companies on average. So there's that empirical finding, yes. which is just in terms of number of dollars they're investing more in research and development. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we see a lot going on with these um, large tech companies is they buy up the innovative firms. Yes. Right, so you'll have like, uh, so like Google and Waze, I think mm -hmm. is an example of one. Like Waze had a, has an app that is really good at uh, sharing what the traffic is likely to be. Yes. Google Maps wasn't as good at that, so then Google buys, uh, buys Waze, who's been innovative, and they mm -hmm. integrate it into, their, uh, into Google Maps, right? So this question about innovation, right? According to classical economics, yes, uh, there should be kind of, uh, when you're not having enough competition because there's not lots of firms competing, then there can be harms to innovation. Mm -hmm. However, in oligopolies and, you know, where there's only a few firms, competition is actually often pretty intense. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be the case that in the, that in the tech arena that uh, it hasn't quelled innovation. Yes. Uh, that what ends up happening instead is the big tech companies more uh, more function as like angel investors, whereas they they uh, they let, wait to see how smaller companies are coming up with innovative ideas and then they buy them up. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that makes tech a little different, not all tech, but a, a large function of tech is is software. Right, and part of it's hardware, but a lot of what these tech giants you think of Google and Facebook as maybe the two, those are those are software platforms. There's not really a lot of hardware going on there, and so it's then really easy to for a small company to come up with an innovative product and then scale it up quickly from a software standpoint. Mm -hmm. So, the question about innovation is. Is it, is, is it playing out in the tech area like it would have if, say, we were still talking about manufacturing? And I think the evidence is mixed. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really hard to tell mm -hmm. because the pace of innovation in the tech sector in general is one that is essentially exponential. Yes. Technological evolution has kind of an exponential growth curve mm -hmm. to it. And so it's really hard to disentangle mm -hmm. whether the large companies are actually being stifling to innovation or because of their size and data accumulation um, yes. and other kind of functions of that market, is it actually more innovative mm -hmm. since they're larger? Now, whenever one of these mergers or acquisitions happen, where a big company buys a little company, is there a large risk of job loss there or hurting small businesses? Yes, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so one, uh, just as a, a, so building on that, the tech, 
tech giants in general have been mm. fairly, I think, disruptive in terms of the amount of jobs per economic output mm. compared to other industries, right? So there's an argument to be made that uh, these tech companies are more broadly independent of mergers and acquisitions, um, causing reduces in the, the overall amount of labor yeah. to contribute to like economic output. So mm -hmm. there's that question. Uh, with mergers and acquisitions, yeah, I think there's certainly the concern that when Waze is bought up by Alphabet or by, or by Google, mm -hmm. um, that uh, all of their employees are not kept. Yeah. What I don't know is the empirical evidence on, evidence on that. Which I'm sure debaters will be able to yeah. research. Mm -hmm. Kind of following the same line, innovation of restrictions, especially with privacy, is there any risk that because these companies are so large, they're not innovating privacy standards that would benefit the consumer? Certainly. That one's pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The problem is that they're... Uh, the violations of privacy is actually how they make their money. Yes. And so since, you know, this gets back to is this good or bad for society, right? Mm. So we mentioned earlier everything's free. Well, mm. it's not free, right? <laughs> you're, they're, you're actually becoming part of the business model. You're giving up your privacy mm. for the opportunity to use their product for free. Mm. But your data has value. The, the, your data that you give to the company that is your privacy, turning it over to the company, is what makes that company valuable. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is 100%, it's very much in their incentives to violate privacy yeah. and to not take it as seriously as they should. And in that arena, it seems like there's certainly, um, certainly the propensity for these larger companies to have not been as innovative as they should have been with, mm -hmm. with respect to people's privacy. Because what I'm trying to do is build a pro case where you, it seems like you would have to start by proving some sort of violation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then once you prove the violation, you don't just get to impact that violation. You would be able to then impact, say, mergers and acquisitions mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, finally, with patents, mm -hmm. um, do you think that the monopolies have, and I know this is along the lines of innovation, but stifled patents or controlled patents too heavily. What are your views there? So, my um, so there's a couple of things. Mm -hmm. One, in the tech industry, a lot of it is also about their algorithms now. So it's as much about say like a patent on like um well at least from my perspective, the the patents on the actual hardware is something that uh, is important. Mm -hmm. um, and but that. That type of stuff is playing, uh, I think, a, a relatively smaller role over time for the way in which uh, tech companies are actually generating value, which again is in the software. Mm -hmm. So um, one, one thing that people certainly should be concerned about or talking about with these companies is the, the patent um, or the confidentiality of the algorithms that mm -hmm. they use to uh, to make decisions. Yeah. So, for example, you know, Facebook has an algorithm that determines what shows up in your newsfeed. Mm -hmm. Amazon has an algorithm that determines what things are suggested to you as like being recommended. Yes. And this is the real issue where I think there's a real strong argument that we should be breaking up these these companies, or that we should mm -hmm. be uh, enforcing some type of antitrust regulation, or at least shifting. Um, uh, how we uh, how we actually think about regulating the uh, the tech companies because Google's search algorithm determines a lot about the world. 
a lot about the world and what information you have access to. Um, and we don't know what that algorithm is because it's a trade secret. Yes. Same thing with Facebook and same thing with Amazon. And so it, it, um, there's less kind of accountability over those algorithms, I think, mm. in part because the three companies are so, are so large and have such a financial stake in the overall political economy. So end of the day for the pro, what do you think the pro is best suited to argue in this debate? So the pro would have to argue, I think, that the consumer welfare standard is being violated. Mm -hmm. And the way they would go about making that argument is to define consumer welfare as something different mm -hmm. than um, lowering prices for people. Yes. Because if they try to take that tact, I think they, they, if they don't take, if they take the tact that it's just about prices and consumer welfare, that's a strong argument for the con, mm -hmm. right? So they need to argue that they're in the U.S. that there's a violation of uh, consumer welfare, that consumers are actually being made worse off yes. by these tech giants uh, remaining together, and they would need a strong argument about why they're worse off. Mm -hmm. And some of these things could be um, uh, a lack of accountability and oversight of these companies because they're so large. It could be things like... Um, these trade secrets are, are too powerful because they're controlling too much of the economy. It could be things like um, tech companies haven't done a, a, a good job of holding themselves accountable and they have too much power and so we need mm -hmm. to make them smaller and easier to hold accountable and control. Um, and there's also, you know, you might make the argument that a lot of the innovation of the large companies is uh, they get the innovation from the smaller companies that yes. they buy out, buy up, and so that could be a, a reason to say that long term that type of model might not be sustainable, and that it does cause major disruptions to mm -hmm. the economy and to the labor market. Yes. And when there's only three act, three major actors or four major actors, they can really. Um, uh, they can really use that economic power to affect the labor market. Now, switching over to the con side. Of okay. What are some of the common con arguments debaters should see? So, I made some of them um, already because I, I couldn't help myself, <laughs> I think. Um, so, the first clear con is um, the consumer welfare standard isn't being violated. And when you look, um, tech, the kind of tech revolution going back, I mean, I don't know how you would exactly think, but let's at least go back to the internet one. So in mm -hmm. the 90s, the standards of living as a result of uh, the innovations from these tech companies and the country overall continuing to grow in a large part because of technological growth, you can't argue with that. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. There's, there's a lot of growth there. Um, and also prices to... Prices to Google things are essentially free, and being a part of Facebook is essentially free. Um, and so there's no evidence from those standpoints that, um, that the consumer welfare is, uh, is being violated. The other, con, the other thing the con argument should be thinking about is, you know, with government we have lots of tools to regulate businesses, mm -hmm. one of which is antitrust policies. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are all there are other types of tools that you could use so you could change laws about privacy. Yes. You know, one of the big concerns I've noted has been privacy. Mm -hmm. Well, we could just change the legal system about who owns the property and how your mm -hmm. how who owns your data 
who has access to it and under what circumstances and how you have to be compensated. Kind of like a minimum wage law or something. Like a minimum wage law or something. Often on the con side debate, there are complacency arguments where if you do this, politicians won't want to do anything else. Do you think that enforcing antitrust laws could make it so there's weaker push for privacy laws? That's a good question. Um, my, my guess is that that's true. My guess is that if you over-focus on this one tool that then other tools are left are left out mm -hmm. uh, because you're not actually changing any legislation or any regulation policy um, you're just arguing that they should be broken up essentially this becomes a band-aid solution exactly yeah okay. that's a good con argument yeah. <laughs> i hadn't thought of that one yeah so shifting a little bit to the politicization of the enforcement so we've mentioned this at the beginning, but how do you think it would be politicized in the current environment? Uh, well, um, it's a good question. So it depends on who proposes it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I actually think part of where we are ideologically, it really does matter who proposes it. And mm -hmm. it's not necessarily clear uh, uh, who would propose it, but we do know who's proposing it. For example, Elizabeth Warren just came out. She's a presidential candidate. She's a Democrat senator, and she's coming up with a, 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 a it's not a fairly detailed plan as I understand it, but is arguing as part of her campaign that big tech companies should be broken up by their different platforms. So Elizabeth Warren is the one proposing it. Yes, it will be politicized. Yes. Um, since the Democrats are making an early push on this, right, it'll, it'll break along traditional political lines. Democrats will be in general for it. Republicans will in general be against it. But this isn't, uh, this isn't new, right? Mm -hmm. So antitrust regulation was really scaled back under Reagan. Mm -hmm. It fits sort of with the free market ideology, mm -hmm. although uh, not really, you know? <laughs> uh, but it fits more with like um, whatever brand of that the Republican Party embraces, I guess, because yeah. it's not really market competition. It's I don't know, like it's more like mm -hmm. government being not involved than yes. it is about free market. I mm -hmm. think um, because antitrust is really about ensuring kind of competitive free markets. Yes. Anyways, so it it will certainly be politicized. My uh, my guess is that uh, Democrats will push for it. There's a there's kind of like a, a populist sentiment uh, on the left right now that markets. Are, are bad mm -hmm. and that this would just be another tool to rein in market excesses and that kind of fits with their message right now. Um, from the Republican side, you know, I don't, uh, other than it being a tool of government intervention, um, in general that would be something Republicans I think historically have been against, but it's a little bit hard to know right now what, uh, what President Trump's response would be and what he might or might not support. Topic does say the United States federal government. Where would you anticipate the enforcement coming from then? I think the enforcement has to come at the federal level. And the reason is that the in general these companies aren't relegated to one state. I mean ideally we would have, you know, the maybe the World Trade Organization have standards about this that mm -hmm. everyone kind of agreed to. Uh, for for the sake of like uh, market growth, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's it's not really something that can be 
uh, enforced particularly well at the states. Uh, some of the larger states could maybe help initiate action by kind of targeting tech companies with other um, other issues, I think, but the, the antitrust stuff really, I think, should come from the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission. With the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission, do you know if those are currently Republican or Democrat run? I don't know mm -hmm. who are at the heads of those. We could uh, look, my guess is that the, given that the current president is Republican, um, that, uh, that a Republican sympathizer, I yeah. guess, heads both, but mm -hmm. I couldn't actually, I should know, I said no, you're fine. <laughs> the federal level, but I can't actually move the heads right now. Well, how much executive lean is put on these agencies? Yeah, um, it depends on the president. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it depends on the president. Mm -hmm. uh, the There seems to be um, certainly leaning from the president on the Department of Justice. Mm -hmm. Um, for other reasons and other things that he has yes. going on right now that aren't related to antitrust, um, but they do seem to he does seem to lean on them a little bit more, uh, and so the Department of Justice can be a little bit more politicized. I think the Federal Trade Commission. I just I don't I don't know. I don't I haven't mm -hmm. come across anything that highlights kind of the president or the executive branch leaning on the Federal Trade Commission. But I could have just missed it. Um, let's talk about internet service providers. Okay. Now, I have seen some evidence out there that internet service providers have huge portions of the market here. If tech giants are broken up, is there any risk that new companies wouldn't be able to control that infrastructure that's already been built? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so, there's a lot to that. Mm -hmm. um, so, international, uh, international, internet, uh, internet service yeah. providers. <laughs> There's this data set in my field called the International Social Survey Program, which is ISSP. So I was trying to say that. Um, so uh, it's a good example, and I don't have a good clear answer to it other than potentially. So let me give a parallel example, which is cloud computing. So cloud computing, it turns out that one of Amazon's biggest revenue sources isn't from the sales on when you order something. It's through hosting cloud computing for other businesses. Um, so if you made Amazon break up their cloud computing services, for example, that could maybe have some, some problems. Mm -hmm. um, so with respect to like internet service providers, I mean, that's sort of part of it. The cloud computing is, is part of that. Uh, some internet service providers are also cable companies mm -hmm. still, like uh, here in Bryan College Station, uh, I use, uh, what is it, like Suddenlink, right? And so, and they're, they're regulated much they're regulated differently than mm -hmm. the tech companies, right? They have uh, regional monopolies that are carved out for them. So I don't have a good idea of knowing how it would interact with that particularly, but there certainly is a concern that some of the infrastructure that's been built um, has been built and sustained by these larger tech giants. And so if you broke that up, I actually don't know what kind of consequences that would have for the infrastructure. Of course. <coughs> now, we've covered a lot of the con arguments when we went over arguments, but I do want to look at an argument that people have found evidence for for both sides, okay. that being lobbying, okay. and how on the pro side, if you enforce these antitrust regulations, lobbyists will just swarm in, it'll be over-politicized, or I guess that's the con side, mm -hmm. that they will swarm in and it'll be over-politicized, but on the pro side, that if you enforce antitrust regulation, these companies make less of a profit, 
which hurts lobbying, which means then you can pass some of those privacy laws we've talked about. How do you feel about this argument? So it seems to me that smaller companies would have less money to invest in lobbying. Uh -huh. So if you broke up large companies and you made them smaller, um, it seems like they would have less uh, lobbying dollars. Mm -hmm. So I follow that argument. Um, and it makes sense. Um, and if you don't enforce it, they certainly have more resources and more lobbying dollars. What I don't know in 2019 is how important direct lobbying dollars are mm -hmm. for, uh, for influencing uh, opinions about privacy. I just don't know. Yes. Um, so, uh, but yes, the argument would certainly be, and I think is accurate, that if you break up smaller companies, they have less, excuse me, if you break up larger companies, mm -hmm. they certainly have less money to devote to coherent lobbying. However, right, if the whole industry is in on it, yes, if the whole industry makes, or large portions of the industry make their money through selling your data, having a hundred companies that are selling your data as opposed to one, then you have a hundred companies targeting their lobbying efforts in the same kind of way. So I, you know, I'm not exactly sure how that one would break. It's the difference between one company giving a hundred dollars and a hundred companies giving one dollar. It seems more likely that there would be it would be hard for you know collective action is harder than one person yes. charging forward. So you know it might help a little bit, but again, if the the incentives are for tech companies to to manipulate privacy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard to imagine a, a world in which privacy is kind of regained. Yes. Now, we've covered a lot of things. Thank you so much. Are there any other factors that we haven't covered today that you'd like to talk about? So, um, the thing that I would say, uh, my as I mentioned to you at the beginning, I come at this uh, as a public policy person, and mm -hmm. I come at it from someone who's interested in technology evolution mm -hmm. and what that means for society. Mm -hmm. And... Independent of whether or not we uh, break up tech companies, we need to think differently about how we regulate them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the topic of your debate is a good one in that tech giants have, uh, I think, too much overall influence and power on mm -hmm. society. Uh, but the other thing to think about, too, is we're not just talking about our domestic market. Yes. So one of the things that we haven't really talked about is you know, Facebook, Amazon, and um, uh, Facebook, Amazon, and Google, in some ways, compete with other tech giants, mm -hmm. particularly on the dimension of artificial intelligence. Um, and so you have Baidu and Tencent and a few others. And some of my work looks at artificial intelligence and the concern that increasing capacity of artificial intelligence might have for how well we control it. Mm -hmm. So one thing that we do need to think about in this bigness debate is how big is our bigness compared to other countries' yes. bigness? Mm -hmm. And so, if we, if China, for example, is being very successful and innovative and creative with their three companies, and we're being very innovative and creative with our three big companies, we went, we run some real risks of changing that dynamic. Yes. And so, this like whether it's good for society or not, one of it is like how does it affect everyday people overall. Mm -hmm. But the other is this, we're sort of in an arms race, really, mm -hmm. with, with really China from a national security standpoint yes. to try to make sure we have superior algorithms and mm -hmm. artificial intelligence capacities. And so we also need to think about some of the arguments of what does this mean for national security and 
what does this mean for liberalism and what does this mean for like protection of free ideas and so there's this whole other set of literature that talks about how advances in technology lead towards authoritarianism uh -huh. and so given that I'm a fan of you know democracy <laughs> yes. and human rights and liberalism in that way um, then I really am concerned about those things so mm -hmm. there's there's other things going on with about the tech industry in particular than just whether or not they need to be broken up excellent well thank you so much for your time today mm -hmm. sir yes thank you so much uh, it was a pleasure Pleasure is all mine. Also, thank you to the Bush School for letting us do this. Um, means a lot. Thank you for the Texas A&M debate program, speech and debate program. And also thank you to Spencer Anderson working the cameras in the back. Have a wonderful day and good luck debating this topic. Good luck. Thank you.